Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Everybody doing well? Yeah? Ready for some more snow? No. The good news is it's going to be gone. It, it just doesn't, you know, like you don't like it. It just it's gone. I, I love this time of the year. It's just, it doesn't know what it wants to do. So, but I don't really worry about it because this time of the year, you don't have to worry about plowing it or or uh, blowing it off your driveway. You just kind of go and it's done and it's good and it's over. And so anyhow, I'm glad that you're here today. We're concluding our series on basics and we're gonna talk about prayer. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Mark's Gospel chapter 11, Mark chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, it's gonna be on the screen. We're gonna look at a piece in a passage of scripture. Uh, it's kind of interesting because most of the time it, it talks about prayer, but it's coming at it from a very unique angle. So I thought it would be kind of a fresh perspective on how to go come about it. It's actually taking place over what we would call the, uh, what we'd call, this is Palm Sunday in the Christian calendar. So it would actually be taking place at that time of the year. It's the week before uh, Passover and uh, Jesus is having this experience and it's, Mark's recording it in his gospel and at this particular point in time. And he deals with some really unique things that really don't, you don't think about how it's connected to, but it kind of back ends and connects itself into prayer. And so Mark's gospel chapter number 11, as we talk about prayer today and this, this basic in our life, this staple in our life as a Christ follower, verse number 20 says this, and the next morning as they, the disciples passed by the fig tree that he, Jesus had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered up from the roots and Peter remembered what Jesus said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it. You must really believe it will happen. You must have no doubt in your heart. Verse 24, I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Now Jesus is kind of talking, he kind of gives us kind of some, some why and what behind prayer. And again, prayer is just a conversation with God. It's you speaking to God. It's you conversing with the Lord. But we all, I say we all pray, I think most people in their life have prayed for something or asked for something or in some shape, form or fashion, whether you're a Christ follower or not, you've reached out to God verbally and you've, you've done that. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and into your life, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So there's the prayer for salvation. Um, and beyond that, then we have prayer in our life. And, you know, Jesus says to pray in this manner. And we, Jesus talks about prayer. Matter of fact, the preceding verses here, Jesus goes into the temple and, and he casts out all the money changers because he says, this is my house. It should be called a house of prayer. Very defining about that. But prayer in, its, in, in the very essence of what it is, it's you and I speaking to God. So what have you prayed for? What are the things in your life that you've prayed for? Um, Maybe you were a kid and, and I grew up in church and so I would hear a passage like this and it says you can pray for anything. 
Well, anything, man, means anything. So to me, I like the helicopter, right? So I'm eight, nine, 10 years of age, and I'm asking God, tomorrow I'd like for you to, Lord, to, when I get up in the morning, it would be so cool if I had a helicopter and if I could tell all my friends that I prayed for a helicopter and Jesus gave me a helicopter and if Jesus would give me a helicopter that all my friends would follow you. It, was, it seemed logical to an eight-year-old, right? Only to get up the next morning and go and look and there's no helicopter. And well, does God not hear my prayers? Does God not answer my prayers? Is, is this book even real, right? All the, the deep theological struggles that you go over as an eight, nine, 10 year old. You fast forward through your life, you're probably not praying for a helicopter, but there's things that you're asking God for in your life that don't really happen. So does prayer really work? Does God really hear? Does he really answer? Why does he answer the prayer over here and not over there? Why, why is it that it doesn't always work all the time like an ATM? Like I can just kind of go and kind of do my formula and then get what I want. What, what's happening? What, what's going on? What, how does this work? I, I, I think that many times, again, prayer in its very essence is just us talking to God, us connecting with God, us verbally connecting with God. But there's a lot more on our part and on our side of it that we've got to make sure that we are in right relationship with the Lord as we're praying that has a lot to do with it. And that's what Jesus is dealing with. First thing I want you to see is that prayer connects us with God. Prayer connects you and I with God. I'm just going to walk through this passage. It connects us with God. Verse 20 and 21 says this, and the next morning as they passed by the fig tree that Jesus had cursed, the disciples noticed it withered up from the roots. And Peter remembered what Jesus said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree that you cursed has withered and died. What does that have to do with prayer? I'm so glad you asked that question. Because Jesus is on his way, they're walking from Bethany into Jerusalem, and, and they're going into Jerusalem, and he sees this fig tree, and Jesus sees this fig tree that has leaves on it. And in Jerusalem, during that particular period of the time of the year, uh, the first sprouting of a fig tree would have leaves, and it would have these very small figs, and they would be somewhat bitter. And then they would fall off and die, and then, and then would come the, 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 the premium, the, the, the very sweet, good figs that, that everybody wanted. But, but the way that the tree indicated to someone walking by that it was ready to produce fruit was it had leaves. It had these healthy signs of leaves. And so Jesus goes up to partake of the fruit of the tree because it's a fig tree. It has leaves. It looks healthy. And he grabs and he goes to look, but there is no fruit. And so because there's no fruit, Jesus curses this fig tree and they go on. Say the day in Jerusalem and then they're walking out the next day. And as they're walking by, Peter sees this fig tree that Jesus has cursed and it's already dead and it's withered from the inside out, not the outside in. It wasn't an external action. It was something internally that was happening. And um, the fig tree was basically guilty of false advertising. It had leaves, but no figs. And a fruit tree that doesn't produce fruit can't really be called a fruit tree. Historically, theologically, uh, the fig tree has represented the nation of Israel. Both Jeremiah and Hosea in the Old Testament uh, used this fig tree as an analogy or as a, as a picture of the nation of Israel. And what Jesus is doing here, because again, this is all preceding uh, Passover, all preceding the, the, what we would call Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, that this fig tree is symbolic of the nation of Israel. And because it looks healthy, it's religious in its activity, therefore, but it has no fruit in it, it's not, and it's rejected, it's Messiah, Jesus, so therefore it is dead from the inside out. 
That's the first piece of this, is that it, it, it represents the nation of Israel. But there's a personal application to this as well. Again, as you read scripture, there's depth to it as you kind of walk through it. And, and that the leaves represent an outward goodness, but fruit represents a Christ-like character. So let's go back to this fig leaf. This fig leaf historically in the Bible represents self-righteousness. All the way back to Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, when God created the heavens and the earth, God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve lived in the garden and everything was right. But then they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the only tree that God said they could not eat of. And then they realized they are naked. So the next thing they do is that they find fig leaves and sew them together in order to hide their shame and their sin. Fig leaves in the Bible represents a self-righteousness of I'm trying to protect myself from God. I'm trying to act like everything's okay on the outside, but on the inside, I really don't have any fruit or life and something's wrong. Isn't that true sometimes in our own lives? We look like we're healthy Christians. We look like we're vital. We look like we would be fruit producing Christians like this fig tree does. Yet when people began to investigate and they began to look at the fruit and the character of our life, it's not there. It's gone. It's, we're just a fruit tree bearing no fruit. Therefore, we really have no value and purpose because we're acting as though we have this, this activity of health, yet there is not this in us. And we know that we're called as followers of Christ to be producers of fruit, spiritual fruit. Galatians 5.22 Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control. There's nine different fruits of the Spirit of God that when the Spirit of Jesus rests and resides inside of us, that we should be producing this fruit in our life. Therefore, when people see us, they shouldn't just see a, what looks to be a healthy tree or just a leafy, healthy tree, but they should be able to they should be able to pluck or take from the fruit of the tree of our life and we should be producing these things in our lives, yet we're not. Why? Because we've got an external form of godliness, but we have no power thereof. We look like we should be, we've got this form of religion, but we have no relationship. The relationship with Christ is what produces the fruit, isn't it? John's gospel chapter 15, man, you guys are quiet today, says Jesus said in John's gospel chapter 15, verse five, it's not going to be on the screen, but if you want to jot that down, John 15, verse five says, Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. So when I see a leafy tree with no fruit, it's not embodying in Jesus. When I see a quote unquote Christian who has this form of godliness, who on the outside looks, but the character and the fruit of the spirit is not there in their life, they are not that Christ follower. Why? Because they have no relationship. This is what was wrong with Israel. Israel had all of the external trappings of religion that they, that they, that they serve God, that they worship God, that they did this. But when God shows up in earthly form, because they have no relationship, they reject him. The same thing is true in our own lives, is that if we're not careful, we have this, this leafy, healthy, external look to us, but there's no fruit in our life. There, there, there's nothing that's producing in our life. And, and because, why? Because there aren't some basics like prayer in our life. 
So we look like Christians and we act like Christians and we go to church on Sunday and we put money in the offering and we, we check all the boxes, but the reality is there's no relationship. There's no fruit. Why? Because we're not abiding in Christ and Christ is not abiding in us. How does that happen? How does Christ abide in you and you abide in Christ? What well, begins with that salvation prayer? Remember Romans 10, 9 and 10, confessing with my mouth and believing in my heart. And then from there, beginning this journey of relationship with Jesus, where I'm in him and he is in me. And so as I'm in him and he's in me, then I'm going to bear much fruit. But when there's no relationship, I have a fruitless life like the fig tree that Jesus withers. How do I keep from having a fruitless life in my Christian walk? How do I keep from having a fruitless life so that I'm not just this externally religious person, but truly I have this depth of relationship so that the fruit and the character of God's produced in my life? Through prayer. Prayer's hard work. If praying was easy, everybody would do it. And I don't mean like throwing up a Hail Mary prayer or just kind of a, a last second prayer or, or, oh God, I want a helicopter from an eight-year-old. I'm talking about literally having this relationship where you're in Christ and Christ is in you and you're having this ongoing dialogue where you're talking and you're speaking. When do you do that? When was the last time you've done that? Do you call yourself a Christian? I'm not judging you. I'm not the judge. But there's coming a day where the fruit of your life will be inspected and you can have all this grief, leafy green external that you want. But what's really going to be inspected in our life is the fruit. Isn't that how the Bible even says that you and I can, can discern one from another by the fruit of our life, by what we bear in our life, right? Because we don't, we, we reproduce who and what we are and our family and our friends and our relationships. And so, so, so the first thing is that here is that prayer, it, it connects us with God. It keeps us from being this, this tree that looks alive but has no fruit. Secondly, prayer changes us. The second statement is that prayer changes us. That'll be on the screen in just a minute. Prayer changes us. It changes you, it changes me. There's an inward activity that happens. Look at in verse number 23. Jesus says, I tell you the truth that you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone who you are holding a grudge against so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins too. There's a lot in those two verses. Verse 23, he talks about how our prayer causes us to extend our faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. I'm going to talk more about that in this last point, in the next point that I'm going to make. But I want to hit that, that, that there is this, there's this exchange of faith that takes place. But, but I want you to look at, at where prayer becomes the connection from your problem, your mountain, whatever it may be, and to God. Prayer is what connects your problem, your mountain, to God. That's the connecting piece. So you have to remember first century, when they're building a roadway or they're doing anything, if they find themselves facing a mountain, they have to either go over the mountain or go around the mountain. They cannot move the mountain. They do not have mountain moving equipment. Now, if you go to Southern Missouri, where, where my wife Tammy is from, you'll drive down through highways and, and interstates and you'll see where they have literally blasted out the rock 
and, and the limestone and all of this in order to create highways. Because you'll see the outcropping on the left and the right of you. They've literally just said, instead of going over this mountain in the Ozarks, we're literally just going to go through it. There's tunnels that we literally can just go right through those tunnels and a highway system. If you, if you actually go from, from, from Missouri and you go down to where I'm from in Fort Smith, you have to take I-49, which literally goes through one, what they call the Boston Mountains and it. They literally tunnel through the mountain system there. You, you just go right through it. But in the first century, they don't have the ability to go through the mountain. They have to either, the mountain stops them or they have to go around them or over them, but it's an insurmountable object in their way. And Jesus says, look, man, through prayer and through faith and believing in prayer, you can speak to any mountain, any situation, and you don't have to go around it. You don't have to go over it. You don't have to let it stop you. You can literally bust your way right through it and move that mountain completely out of the way. What does that? Prayer. Prayer is that connection. Prayer is that thing that allows you. Prayer is that mechanism. Prayer is that conversation that allows you that whatever the mountain is that you're facing, whether it's financial, whether it's, it's, it's relational, uh, whether it's internal, whether it's a sin, whether it's a decision, whether it's, it's just something that you have no control over or maybe you have all the control in the world, whatever the mountain is, the key to seeing that mountain, not going around it or over it, but literally having it moved out of your way is prayer. It's real simple. But it requires, he says in verse 25, this pure heart. That when you are going to pray, because remember, character is what counts in prayer. Posture doesn't count in prayer. It doesn't matter if I'm kneeling or if I have my hands right or if I'm in church or I'm in my car, the location of where I'm praying, the posture of where I'm, which I'm praying, the, the, the language in which I'm using to pray. Some people go, well, I just don't have spiritual enough language, which is funny to me because they're typically saying that they don't speak King James, which is Shakespearean which Jesus didn't talk that way either. So it's really funny to me when people go, I'm just, no, no, no. Prayer has nothing to do with language. It has nothing to do with posture. It has nothing to do with location. It has everything to do with character. Again, go back to the fig tree. It's not important that you look healthy. The question is, are you producing character in your life? How do you produce character in your life? By character developing things such as prayer whether it comes out of relationship, because relationship with Christ is simply you talking to him and him speaking to you. That's the power of prayer. But when I pray, I've got to have a pure heart. I can't have unforgiveness in my heart. So that means, first of all, I have to repent. I have to stop on a regular basis and say, Lord, is there any unforgiveness in me? Why? Because unforgiveness, according to this passage, will keep God from hearing and answering my prayers. So maybe the reason why I didn't get the helicopter at age eight was because I had unforgiveness in my heart. I don't think so, but maybe. Some of you are awake, you're waking up. <laughs> I'm worried about you. But if I have unforgiveness in my heart, God doesn't hear my prayer. That's what that passage says. But, but you don't know, it's not my business, but you don't understand, you're right, I, 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 but I'm telling you, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, God doesn't hear you when you pray. Why? Because you're asking him to forgive you, and yet you can't forgive someone else. Well, it costs a whole lot for me to forgive them, you just, right, but it cost him his one and only son. 
So the question at that point is, is am I willing to forgive? Now, understand this. Forgiveness is not absolving consequences. When I forgive someone, it doesn't mean that if they've gone and they've done something horrendous or they've done something criminal, that doesn't mean that the consequences of their actions are suspended. No, 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 no. Forgiveness is not absolving the consequences. The consequences may still be there, but I've released them. For forgiveness is, is not forgetting. Again, you and I are not wired or hardwired to forgive and forget. I thought that's what we're supposed to do. No, the only person that can forgive and forget is God. And the Bible says that when we confess our sins, that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And God remembers our sin no more. When we have communion on Good Friday together as a congregation, we will remember one thing in that communion service is that he forgets. So thankful that he does. The Bible says he takes our sin, he casts it as far as, as the east is from the west. He buries it at the bottom of the ocean, never to remember it again. It's gone. But you and I are not God. You and I are made in the image and likeness of God, but yet we are not God. Therefore, our ability to forget sometimes is very limited. Forgiveness is not about forgetting. Forgiveness is this. Forgiveness is releasing someone from my desire for revenge. Releasing someone from my desire to revenge. Revenge is a natural human response. Law of physics. Every op action has an equal and opposite reaction. You slap me, I'm going to slap you back. Right? No? Some of you are lying that you're in church. <laughs> There's just this natural reaction. What does forgiveness do? Forget what, forgiveness does this. Forgiveness suppresses that, 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 that revenge action and that, that, that desire to have to push back and to respond and says, I'm just going to release that. I'm not going to operate in revenge. Why? Because that depends upon me. I can't help what that person's done. I can't help what they've said. I can't help what they've done, but I can help what I do. So it's not about absolving consequences. It's not about me forgetting. It's about me releasing them. So when I pray that prayer, I have to have faith. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a moment. But I also have to have a right heart. And that depends upon me. Well, how do I know? Maybe there's unforgiveness in my heart and I don't know it. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, is there any unforgiveness in me? If there is, please show me. I'm telling you. Like, we all deal with this. We all deal with people that cut us off and do us wrong. We all deal with people that have manipulated us. We all deal with people that have said bad things about us. We all deal with, we live in a world that this is it. Even if your whole world exists in church world, my, my whole world is typically church world. And I can tell you, I've been done wrong. I've been slandered. I've been judged. I have been spoken ill of. I have my, my character, my reputation has been trampled on from time to time. All that stuff happens. And I'm just talking about fellow preachers that I know. Mm. Right? Because it's people. And I have a choice. Do I release that need to revenge? Do I release that need to respond? Do I release that and forgive them? And therefore I repent of my own sin of unforgiveness. And at the same time, I also release them. Or do I hold that? Because if I hold that, then I'll never have mountain moving faith. If I hold that, the discipline of prayer, my prayers are going to bounce off the ceiling. Why? Because the Bible says that, that God doesn't hear prayers when there's sin that's in my heart. The only prayer that God hears when there's sin in our heart is a, is a prayer for salvation. When you and I know this, 
when we are Christ's followers and we allow sin into our hearts and into our life willfully and knowingly, we have unforgiveness in our heart willfully and knowingly, doesn't matter how justified you are in it. If you allow that in your heart, it, it, it precludes, it keeps, it hinders that relationship between you and the Lord. And you become like a fig tree that has leaves but has no fruit. Because you don't have the love of God and, and the patience of God and the kindness of God. And I get it. Sometimes I don't want that. Sometimes I just want to be me. I don't want to be Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like I know Jesus would do that, but I don't feel like doing that. Anybody? But the truth of the matter is, if I'm going to have a prayer life and I'm going to be a man or a woman of prayer, if I'm going to have mountain moving prayer in my life, I can't blame that on God. Some of that's on me. The last thing I want you to notice here in verse 24 is that prayer changes the situation. Prayer changes the situation. Prayer changes whatever it is that you're facing. Look at verse 24. Jesus said, I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. The thing about faith is that you must believe, you must believe God before you see the answer to your prayer. In other words, if you're asking God for something, you should begin to act like God is already answering that prayer. If you're praying for rain, you should carry an umbrella, even if it's sunny outside. You may be thinking, well, I've prayed for something that didn't happen. God didn't answer my prayer. And so so can, how can I have faith? But I would tell you, God always answers prayer. Sometimes when we pray, the answer is yes. And God performs the miracle. Sometimes when we pray, the answer is no. Let's go back to my prayer of a helicopter at age eight. Sometimes the answer is wait. Sometimes God gives us something different or better than what we asked for or didn't even ask for because sometimes we don't know what to ask for. But God always answers prayer. He always responds. But you must believe without a doubt that God hears your prayer and you have to have that faith in which to do that if you're going to see your prayers answered. It's not my words, it's his words. James, the book of James talks about this and praying with faith in, in James chapter one, verse five and six. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. It'll be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of a sea blown and tossed by the wind. When I pray, when I ask God, I've got to believe that he is and that he will. And I've got to trust him with the answer. We must pray in faith that we want to see God's power released in our own lives. That is way easier preached than it is lived, but it is that simple. I can sit here and we can talk about all the what ifs and whys and whatever. And if you go, well, why did God not answer this prayer? Well, I can go, do you have, did you have sin in your heart? I don't know at that particular point in time. Maybe you don't even realize it. So unforgiveness in your life? 
Or maybe God indeed has answered a prayer and the prayer that he's get answered, he answered in a completely different way than what you thought he would. Maybe you thought it was gonna happen this way, but it happens that way. Maybe God shows up in a completely different way. Maybe God's still waiting on you because he's asked you to move or to do something and just take a step of faith and you're still in the boat instead of getting out and walking on the water. The ability is there to walk on the water, but you're still in the boat. The truth of the reality is, is that God's there, that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we can think or ask. The question is, do we trust him to do that? When we pray, do we believe? Do we truly, truly, truly believe that he is and that he will and that he can? Because if we have doubt, we lack faith. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not impugning you. I'm simply, and I'm not trying to, 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 to scorn you or, or in any way rebuke you, but I'm simply saying, that's something that we have to begin to develop into work is to, is to develop faith in our life and begin to trust and begin to, to develop that. Well, how do I develop that? By extending your faith, by getting out there and trusting the Lord, by beginning to trust him with small things. And you begin to trust him with small things. He'll make you ruler over much, the Bible says. You begin to pray here, begin to pray there. And, 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 and again, it's not this, God's not some cosmic Santa Claus that I just asked for a helicopter and it, boom, it's in my yard. Number one, I can't fly the helicopter, right? Number two, it really doesn't help. Number three, it couldn't physically really land in the yard that I lived in, in that little house. So you see all the problems? But I, as a 10-year-old, I'm not thinking. And I know that sounds really preposterous, and I keep coming back to that. But many times, there are times we ask God to do things in our life that, quite frankly, the reality, the reason why he doesn't answer or respond is because we can't handle what we're really asking for. We're, we're, we're an eight-ounce cup asking for a 12-ounce blessing. Oh my God, somebody shout me down. And we're asking God to do something we don't have the ability to contain. We, it, the, the blessing would overtake us. The, the blessing would crush us. So you go back to what John said in John's gospel chapter 15. If I'm in Christ and he's in me, if I'm abiding in him and he's abiding in me, then I can ask whatever I will. So the question is, am I really abiding in Christ? Do I really have the mind of Christ? Do I have the heart of Christ? Do I want what he wants or is this about me? Is this about my spiritual walk or is this about stuff? Is this about my success or is this about the significance that God's called me to? Is this about my ego or my insecurities? Or is this truly about doing what he wants to do? What's God about? Get in the word and understand that. What's his heart? Get in the word and understand that. What does he want? Get in the word and understand that. And the more you get in the word, the more the word gets in you, then you begin to get in the flow of what he wants to do. And then you begin to say, I believe this is what God's doing. And I'm trusting this is what God's doing. And I'm going to speak things that are not as though they are. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is. And sometimes prayers are answered instantaneously. Sometimes they're progressively. Sometimes it's over an expansive time. Sometimes it's in a moment. That's where he's God and we're not. Have you ever thought back? Have you ever read back in your journal where you ask God to answer a particular prayer and you're so thankful that he didn't answer that prayer? You wanted to marry that guy only to see him 20 years later, bald and fat and having no life. And you thank God you didn't marry him. I'm being funny, but there's a lot of truth to that. Oh God, if you would just bring Johnny into my life, it would be great. No, it won't. Johnny has no future. Johnny's a loser and you can't see that right now. Thank God he didn't answer that prayer. But God didn't answer my prayer. No, honey, he answered it by sending Rob your way. Rob's the good guy that he sent your way. I could really be funny with that, but I won't. What mountains are you facing today? 
Are you looking to God or are you just trying to figure it out? Are you aligned with Jesus? Does the tree of your life bear fruit? Or is it just have the appearance of being healthy and the appearance of being fruit bearing, but it lacks it? Prayer is the answer to get you to the life that you want to have with Christ. To be a tree that's healthy and growing, but is fruit bearing, not just today, but tomorrow and for your entire life. Prayer is that key. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your people. I thank you today, Lord, for the, God, just for the simplicity of your word. And I just ask God in these few moments that, Lord, that we've had today that you would just stir our hearts. Lord, if there's sin in our heart that we need to forgive someone else, I pray, Lord, bring that to our mind, bring that to our heart. Help us right now just to say, Lord, forgive me, God, for unforgiveness. And help us just right now in this moment to release that to you. Father, if, there is, if there's sin in our hearts and in our lives that we're willfully allowing that to be, God, forgive me of my sin. God, forgive us of our sin and help us, Lord, not to have sin in our heart in any shape, form, or fashion. But Lord, let us be right before you, not in and of ourselves, but in you, Jesus. And Father, I pray, help us. Help us to keep our eyes upon you, Jesus to abide in you, to reside in you, to, to rest in you, to live in you. Lord, to get in your word, to get in a worship environment like we have today, like we are in, and to be in prayer, to learn more of you and to allow your fruit to be developed in our life so that then, Lord, what we ask for, God, will be in keeping with your will and your will will be done. God, help us never, never to be uh, hesitant to ask but God, help us when we ask to have faith and believing and to trust with pure hearts and believe that the mountain will be moved. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.